welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, where we bring awareness of sustainable health in the business hustle space. The Natural Health Podcast is perfect for the high-performing, business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve success and optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for friends sharing facts about health, business, and overall success. In today's episode, we talk to Dr. Carolyn Stone, all about Hashimoto's disease and the missing pre prescription. Dr. Stone is a naturopathic doctor and helps women with thyroid and hormone disorders. Her goal is to help them avoid burnout so they can work smarter, faster, and stronger. Dr. Stone grew up in a small town in Ohio that is home to the Dum Dum Sucker and Itch a Sketch. (laughs) She absolutely (laughs) loves camping, getting out in nature, and she enjoys crime murder shows. And she used to want to be a forensic pathologist. Welcome to the Natural Podcast, Dr. Carolyn Stone. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait to chat with you. This is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. I had to, I'm, t- I'm going to tell you the truth. I had to Google dumb, dumb sucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a funny thing, right? Yeah. Cause it's in the U S so you guys don't have that. <laughs> no, I was like, okay, cool. That's awesome. But what? <laughs> Uh, our, our small, you know, our small towns claim to fame, right? You have to hold on to something. That's what we had. And it was when they were making candy. So the company's name is Spangler Candy Company. The whole town would smell like candy. And it was just as a kid, right? It was the most amazing thing. <laughs> oh, wow. So the whole town smelled like candy. That is amazing. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and now you're like, hmm, I know what that does. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, not not so great as an adult, but you know, as a kid, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely amazing, awesome. And so, you love camping, getting out there in nature. Are there any camping trips planned, or have you been recently? Gosh, you know, I was just thinking today that I need to plan a trip. It's well, so like I was saying before, we jumped on the passage. You know, we're moving into our hot season here in Arizona, and so a lot of times, once it gets hot, you can't burn fire. You know, can't use fires or anything like that. So it's a little bit tricky this time of year. But during the winter, amazing. But we can go up north. Up north, Arizona is a little bit cooler. Uh, so yeah, I don't have anything planned just yet, but I'm working on it because I need I need to get out in nature. That's that's my jam right there. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So look, I wanted to know, I wanted to get to know you a little bit more and the audience to get to know you. And I guess the best question to ask you is what have been the key turning points in your life to get you to where you are now being a naturopathic doctor? And what have you, what, what, has, what have you been doing? Like what has been the key turning points? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, initially when I was in undergrad, I always, I never had con- even considered naturopathic medicine. I didn't even know what it was. It was a foreign term to me. But as I got closer to graduation, I started to panic because I realized that I did not want to be a conventional doctor based on what I was seeing. I didn't want to be the standard doctor. So I was panicked, searching the internet, and I barely used my laptop at this point, right? Because this is a long time ago now. So I was like doing all my research. And as I started searching, that's when I found naturopathic medicine. So of course, that was a key turning point for me because I was completely, not completely changing my career, but it was a whole new path. And it was kind of scary because I didn't exactly understand everything, but I knew by the principles that that was what I wanted to do. So that was a big turning point. And so got through med school, started my practice. I was renting out of a friend's office. She was so generous to me. And then in 2015 was probably the next big turning point for me. That's when I went out on my own. So hung my little shingle and started my own business. 
And, and I absolutely would not have been able to do that without the help of my family. My grandma gave me like $5,000 loan. Without that, never would have happened. So I was super grateful. And that was a huge moment for me. And then I would say more recently, my biggest turning point was hiring a business coach. Honestly, you know, it's naturopathic medicine is still not well known in a lot of areas. And so being able to get our message out there effectively to the right people makes all the world of a difference. If you don't have a clear message, if you don't know who your audience is, who you're talking to, you're not going to be very successful. Or maybe you're not going to help all the people that you could potentially help. So I would say those were the biggest turning points for me so far. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I mean, I love that, you know, you're saying you didn't know what naturopathy, naturopathy was. And I mean, a lot of individuals still don't know, especially here in Australia, it's not as known as it is in the US, the UK and so forth. So it's interesting yeah. that you yourself, you know, you were studying it and you're like, oh, what is yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like a whole new world to me, but it all made sense to me. The more I learned, the more it resonated with me. So I just, I knew it was the right fit. I knew that's what I wanted to do, even though I didn't know that was what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. And now you're focusing with women's um, health. Yeah. So what got you interested in that? Well, interestingly enough, and I don't know if it's it's different for you guys, but in the U.S., it is much more common for women to go to the doctor than it is for men. Usually men are coming in because their wife dragged them in. <laughs> so it kind of naturally just happened that way because more women come to the doctor. But the other piece of it was as I fine tuned my practice and I learned what my niche was, what I really enjoyed doing, which is mostly thyroid and hormone stuff. Well, the majority of people who have thyroid disorders, especially Hashimoto's are women. It's much more prevalent in women. So it naturally kind of lends itself to leaning towards women because that's who deals with it the most. Yeah. Amazing. Beautiful. And I love that, you know, you're specializing in women's, you know, Hashimoto and so forth. So it's easy for individuals to be like, okay, I have this, who can, what expert can I see? And then you come along yeah. and you're like, yes, hello, I'm here. I can <laughs> offer you advice. I can offer you assistance, which is absolutely amazing. So look, also here on the podcast, we talk a lot about success, optimal health. I wanted to know before we go any deeper, what does, on one hand, what does success look like for you right now? But then on the other side, what does optimal health look like for you? Well, those are great questions. So success, I look at success in a couple of different ways. I would say firstly, that success is learning how to adapt, right? And that that's in business and in medicine and in health, because life changes, regardless of whether you want it to or not, and you have to learn how to adapt to that. So understanding how to move when certain things come up, right? How to make a quick decision, how to make a mindful decision, being able to adapt to that situation, I think is is hugely successful. I think that's great because it used to be, you know, in the beginning, sometimes whatever you're doing, when a challenge comes up, it's very easy to break down, quit, give up, right? But if you can adapt, that's where the magic happens. So I would say adaptation, adaptability is, is a sign of success for me. Uh, I would also say, and kind of in that same line, you know, success is learning how to get back up when you fail. And so if you're thinking about that in terms of, and you could apply that to business and health, but if we're thinking about it in terms of health, people fail all the time, right? You try a new diet or a way of eating and then you fall off after a week, or now you're going to do some exercise regimen and you fall off. It's not about how many times you fall off. It's about how many times you get back up. 
right? And the more you get back up, the easier it gets. People are, are, we tend to get stuck in that place of failure. Like, you know, if you failed at something before, you, you kind of have this mental block that you're always going to fail at that thing. But really, you just have to keep trying. That's the biggest thing. So that's another piece of success. And then I would say another sign of success, which is something I always have to work on, would be boundaries. <laughs> Having good boundaries, whether that's personal boundaries or professional boundaries. Because if you don't have good boundaries, it makes it much more difficult to take care of yourself. And when you don't take care of yourself, you really can't give to people the way that you want to. So it's not just good for you. It's also about being of service to others. And we can only be of service if we take care of ourselves. Yeah, so that's what success that. looks like for me. Yeah. I love that. And I'm not going to quote a famous philosopher did say, I, I think it was Moslow, that he said mm-hmm. that adaptil- adaptil- being adaptable is success yeah. and they are the ones that are going to survive. So yeah. it's, it's interesting that you say that because when you think about things that have happened in your life, health-wise, business-wise, and you're like, it was the way I adapted to it, it was the way I took it on yes. and that's how my mindset changed and that's how I was able to deal with it and that was success. So I love that you mentioned that and I love boundaries. Definitely, like you said, <laughs> I think it's a learning lesson for every individual, especially females, um, you know, males also, but, you know, depending on their role in the family, it's, it's, it's boundaries is a huge, huge thing to look at. And it's interesting that you link the boundaries to success because when you do have boundaries, then you can or will have success. I love that. I absolutely love that link. Yeah, absolutely. And so, it was, uh, sorry, there was a second piece to that question. Yeah, yeah, so optimal health. What does optimal health look like for you? <laughs> oh, that's so great. I mean, honestly, optimal health is all about how you feel. Do you feel strong? Do you feel resilient? Do you feel, I wouldn't even say happy, but do you feel balanced, right? We're supposed to have lots of different emotions and that's fine. We all go through tough spots. But are you able to pull yourself out of that? So optimal health is really about being in tune with your body, recognizing when you're out of balance and being able to implement the tools that you have at your disposal to get back into balance. So optimal health, that can look different for everyone. So, you know, that it might be different for different people. But I think it's an overarching, you know, look at optimal health that that's how I would describe it. Yeah. And realizing when you're out of balance, the key yeah. thing that you said that, and then reminiscing that and making sure you are in balance. I think that is one of the key things that you do. I mean, that naturopaths uh, overall do in a sense is where is the imbalance? How do we get you back on balance? And what does it look like? And then it's kind of yes. like, it's like a kind of like a little process, like a little funnel timeline thing. Yeah, it is. And the more you do it, the easier it gets because you you learn to recognize easier when you're out of balance. A lot of people are so out of tune with how their body feels. They don't even realize how bad they feel until they start to feel good. Right. And then once they start feeling good, maybe they let things go a little bit. They're not maybe tending to their their nutrition or their exercise as much. And then they start to feel bad and they they stop themselves because they've learned that they don't want to feel that way. Right. And then they write that ship. So it's kind of this constant long-term thing that we're doing. 
Yeah, and I guess I can see now where you enjoyed your crime from because it's like you're investigating <laughs> what's happening with the body. Where's the, what crime is happening inside yeah. of this body? What crime is happening inside of this thyroid, which is what we're going to talk about. Yeah. We're going to find that out. So, look, yeah. um, let's talk about today's topic. I'm so excited to get your views on this. The missing pre, pre uh, prescription to anyone who has Hashimoto's disease. And we're going to be talking about strength training. And I know yeah. people are blowing their mind and being like, what strength training and Hashimoto's? <laughs> I mean, let's just start off. Let's get the audience familiar with Hashimoto's. I mean, a lot of people are like, what is Hashimoto's? It sounds something Japanese. It sounds like a Japanese food. <laughs> What is it? Are you able to give us a little bit of a, a rundown? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disorder of the thyroid. And it is the most, at least in the US, and this is probably true of other developed countries, but the most common cause of hypothyroidism. So a lot of people have been diagnosed with hypothyroidism and don't realize that the underlying issue is actually Hashimoto's. A lot of times it's, it's getting better, uh, but a lot of times this diagnosis is missed. And there's a few reasons for that, but it's an autoimmune disorder. And the interesting piece is that I, I've always described autoimmune disorders as the body attacking itself or the immune system attacking your cells, which is not necessarily untrue. But I saw this physician, uh, Dr. Catherine Clinton, she's on Instagram. She had this amazing description the other day that I wanted to share with you guys. So she said, autoimmunity is not your body gone berserk and attacking itself. Autoimmunity is the body intelligently responding to the environment around it. I think that is a much more accurate description of what autoimmunity is. Our bodies are constantly adapting and responding to our internal and external environment. So it's not necessarily attacking itself. It's doing what it's supposed to do when you are not living a lifestyle that is congruent with health, right? So yeah. And it's, yeah, I mentioned before too, that Hashimoto's is most common in women. So, you know, there's things that we see and it tends to be diagnosed in women that are closer to like their twenties and thirties, but even into, you know, forties and beyond, it can be diagnosed especially if it's been missed. Yeah. And it's, I love that you read that out. And I mean, yeah. I always get a little bit, oh, when someone says, you know, the body attacking itself, because I strongly yeah. believe that our body is doing the best it can with what it is given at any given time. And if you look yes. at it that way, you're like, it's trying to keep me alive. My body is trying to keep me alive. It's doing this to keep me alive. Oh my gosh. Wow. This is amazing. Uh, my attitude now to Hashimoto's has changed, you know, yeah. and, th and that's how we need to look at it. We need to look at it and be like, well, thank you so much for attacking my thyroid to let me know <laughs> that yep. there's something happening, but then yeah. when you know, you can do something about it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's amazing how, when we change our perception of the disease or us or something along those lines, how it can actually be part of the healing journey. Yes. Yes. I love it. Just to reframe things, right. Something that is more promoting of health and supporting what the body innately knows how to do. Yeah. hundred percent. So look, now that we kind of know, you know, Hashimoto's is mainly in females. They get diagnosed in their twenties, thirties, unless missed. Um, and it's also an autoimmune disease of the thyroid hypothyroidism summarizing it, but what would be the kind of the signs and symptoms uh, that an individual who may have Hashimoto's may present? 
That's a great question. And, and signs and symptoms of Hashimoto's can often, you know, I would describe them almost as insidious. They can be easily explained away. If you're an adult in the working world, you kind of just feel like you're supposed to feel a certain way, right? You're supposed to be tired. You're supposed to have crappy sleep, all these things. So they can easily be explained away. But the, the most common symptoms that we see with Hashimoto's would be low energy, so fatigue, uh, weight gain or difficulty losing weight. And that would include a lot of times folks with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, hypothyroidism will have almost like a puffy look to their face. If you look at before and after pictures, before treatment and after treatment, you actually see like the size of their nose decrease because it's just, they're just puffy. So that's a piece of it. Um, dry skin, dry hair. Now in Arizona, that's a hard one to assess because we're in a desert. So I always have to ask, okay, is it desert dry or extra, extra dry? I love so that. that's the hard one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what else. Hair loss. So sometimes that can be overall hair loss or thyroid disorders in particular love to go after the eyebrows. So it's not uncommon for folks to have like the outer part of their eyebrows be a little bit thinner. Um, brittle nails, constipation. Constipation is a big one. Uh, feeling cold. So a lot of times it'll be cold hands and feet or just being really sensitive to the cold. A lot of folks with Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism will describe being in the cold as being painful. It's not your normal cold. It is a painful cold, almost unbearable. Uh, slower heart rate, lower body temperature. So lots of different symptoms that again, some people will just explain away. So those are the common things that we look for. Yeah, I mean, when you think about a thirty-year-old professional businesswoman, that that that's her life, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exhausted, tired, dry hair, being cold, you know, and things mm-hmm. like that. But it sounds like the body has just kind of slowed everything down. Everything exactly. stagnation. There's a lot of you know non-movement happening. That's kind of what it sounds like with those signs and symptoms. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it's hypothyroidism, hypo meaning lower, right? Because the opposite of that is hyperthyroidism. And those folks are have trouble gaining weight. And those people tend to be warm and their heart rate is fast. So it's it's completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned about the faces, the structure, because if you just do a Google research, like you said, of Hashimoto's patients or Hashimoto's, you will actually see it. You will see that the faces before and the faces after, and you think it's a different person or it's their brother or their sister or something along those lines. Yeah. It can be quite dramatic in some folks, especially if they've gone untreated for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So now that we know a little bit about what Hashimoto's disease is, signs and symptoms, I guess, you know, you said a lot of people kind of don't know they have it or they do have it. I guess there's such things as blood tests or functional tests that can help, you know, help a practitioner determine what it may be and something along those lines. So what would they help and what ones would? Yeah, great question. And this is this is something I talk about a lot with my patients and on social media because it there's there's a lot of a lot of doctors don't actually test for Hashimoto's. So one of the main two tests that we look at are are antibodies. So EPO or thyroid peroxidase antibodies is one. And the other one is thyroglobulin antibodies. And sometimes you'll see those as anti-TPO or anti-thyroglobulin. It's all the same thing. So when those are elevated, when those antibodies are elevated, that indicates an autoimmune thyroid disorder. Now it could indicate 
Hashimoto's or another autoimmune thyroid disorder known as Graves disease, but you can usually tell the difference based on symptoms. So you kind of have to flesh that out. Those, those are two of the main tests that we run. In the conventional medical world, when they are screening for thyroid disorders, typically they run one test and that's thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH. The problem with that is that patients can have elevated antibodies for up to, I think I read up to like eight years before it impacts their TSH number. By the time it's impacting TSH, they're well into that disease process and it's much harder to get them into remission and to control their symptoms at that point. So TSH is definitely something I still run, but of course I'm running the antibodies as well. The other, a couple of other blood tests that we run would be the active thyroid hormones, which are T3 and T4, in particular, the free T3 and the free T4. Checking the total T3 and T4 can be helpful, but it doesn't really give you as accurate a picture as the free T3 and free T4 would. And so again, you can have elevated antibodies, but normal TSH, free T3 and free T4 just depends on where they're at in that disease process. The other thing that we check, which is not a blood test, uh, but the other thing that we might look at is an ultrasound of the thyroid. So typically the thyroid has a very smooth, glossy appearance to it. People with Hashimoto's will often have what we call a heterogeneous appearance to their tissues, which really is just a fancy way of saying lumpy bumpy, right? So it's kind of this coarse, this rough texture. It also may be enlarged. So the thyroid might be larger than we expect it to. And you may see some nodules on there. All of those can indicate Hashimoto's. And there are certain cases where folks don't have elevated antibodies, but they have evidence on their ultrasound of Hashimoto's. It's not very common, but I've had a couple of cases like that where we had to get the ultrasound in order to figure out that diagnosis. Yeah, I, th what you mentioned about the thyroid and that feeling, I remember being at school oh, yeah. and and touching people's and oh, I, I, <laughs> and then like standing and then someone would be like, oh, I found one, look at this, and everyone would touch yeah. the person's neck. And it's just, it's, it's crazy how everyone feels different. Um, yeah. And what I'm talking about is touching the thyroid um, gland with your fingers or yes. a medical healthcare professional, of course, diagnosed and touching it. It's so interesting uh, feeling it and understanding and just getting a bit of a feel of it. Um, and yeah. like you said, there is that little, that, that rigidity. It's kind of the rigid um, mm -hmm. sense of it. But you did also mention antibodies, right? Yeah. Thyroid antibodies. Are you able to just briefly break down it so we can understand why someone would have thyroid antibodies? Yeah, exactly. So kind of how we were talking in the beginning, I'm going to, I'm going to use that term of attacking the thyroid, even though I don't totally resonate with that now, but it just helps to understand it. So when the immune system is attacking the thyroid, basically what's happening is that the thyroid cells are, are under attack. And so in that process, our body produces antibodies or things that go against the body, right? That's why it's antibodies. And so as those elevate and it, as part of that immune process, that's a sign that it's under attack or there's an imbalance, however we want to say that. So really the antibodies are produced in response to the immune system, not recognizing our thyroid cells as belonging to us. 
So typically, you know, most of our cells have these little markers that tell our immune system, hey, these cells belong to me. You don't need to attack them. That way, when a foreign invader like a bacteria or a virus comes in, they know that that doesn't belong to you and it mounts an attack against that. So in this case, obviously our thyroid cells belong to us, but that signal is dysfunctional. And so as that attack happens, that's when the antibodies are produced. Yeah, amazing. So if someone's got low antibodies, someone might be having their blood test done and they've got the TSH done and, you know, the practitioner looked at their antibodies. And if they may have some antibodies, so the antibodies aren't zero, but they're not really showing signs and symptoms, what would that kind of indicate? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, it honestly depends on who you ask. There's lots of different thoughts around this. So there's a threshold for antibodies. So for example, I mean, it depends on what lab you use. But let's use TPO antibodies, for example, a normal level of TPO antibodies per the lab reference would be, let's say, less than 28. So, you you know, that's where you want it to be. Now, let's say somebody has 15, right? Is that Hashimoto's? Maybe not yet. Some people would say yes and go ahead and treat. Depends. I've had cases like that. And I will sometimes it's an early sign that that immune process is starting. And so I'll wait a little bit and retest and see if the levels come up. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they just stay right there. So whether or not that is considered Hashimoto's depends on who you ask, but it depends a lot on how the person feels. If somebody has technically normal antibody levels, but they have all the signs and symptoms of Hashimoto's and we've ruled out other conditions as being contributors, then you can treat as if that's what's going on and see if they improve. Especially if you're a naturopathic doctor, because we have so many tools in our toolbox, I'm not going to prescribe a medication for that. So the things that I prescribe are going to be very low risk that if you do them, they're not going to harm you. And they may not help you either, depending on what the, the issue is. So just depends. So yeah, and they don't necessarily have to be positive to treat. It just depends on the person. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. So look, you did mention prescriptions. So essentially when you go to a doctor, a medical doctor, MD, you, you know, if, if your TSH is out mm-hmm. or anything on those lines after the eight years, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so then what happens is they prescribe you prescriptions. What are the most common prescribed prescriptions someone would get with Hashimoto's? Um, and what would be the effects of these? Yeah, so the number one prescription for Hashimoto's by conventional doctors would be levothyroxine, which is also known as Synthroid. As far as side effects, you know, a lot of the side effects are related to how it's prescribed. So if somebody is prescribed too much or too high of a dose, that will put them in more of that hyperthyroid state. So they'll feel like their heart is racing. They'll feel anxious. They might be sweaty. They can't sleep. So obviously that's problematic. But oftentimes, you know, you start low and kind of titrate up. However, a lot of people with Hashimoto's will have sensitivities to different foods and ingredients. And a lot of these medications have what we call excipients and binders. So extra stuff that's in them. And one of the things in levothyroxine is gluten. And a lot of people with autoimmune disorders and Hashimoto's are sensitive to gluten. So it depends on their sensitivity. Some people, and you know, I have lots of folks with Hashimoto's who take levothyroxine and don't have any problems, but people, depending on maybe their underlying health or their baseline health or just their sensitivities in general, they may not do well with levothyroxine or Synthroid and they may actually feel worse. 
Wow, you just blew my mind. And I hope the audience made a link right there because what you're saying is, is that most individuals who have Hashimoto's, not all of them, may be sensitive to gluten. The medication that the individuals are given have traces of gluten in it, which may be making your condition worse. That is yes. mind-blowing. Like this is the <laughs> stuff that needs to be spoken about. This is the stuff that needs to be yeah. out there. Yep, yep. And there are thyroid medications without gluten in them, but in the conventional world, those are typically not first-line medications. Those are only used if somebody fails to improve on the other medications. And even sometimes doing that is difficult. Getting getting endocrinologists or, or primary care to switch that is difficult. So it, the nice thing about being in Arizona as a naturopathic physician is I have prescribing rights. So I don't have to send them to another physician to work on their prescriptions. We can do it all right there. And of course, I always talk to them about potential side effects, things we want to watch out for. We're checking in frequently in the beginning. So that way, if they do have any reactions, we can take care of it right away. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So look, we are going to get to the prescription. That's the best one, which is strength training. <laughs> but before we get to it, because that's a big one, you spoke about food a little bit, right? So what would be some foods to stay away from and the ones to incorporate for individuals who have Hashimoto's? I know it depends on the individuals. This is just an overall <laughs> thing uh, that individuals may be aware of. Yeah. So like I mentioned, gluten is probably the number one. Every time I diagnose someone with Hashimoto's or if they come to me and they have already been diagnosed with Hashimoto's, first thing I do is have them take gluten out. Now, if they can be 100%, that's going to get them the best results. But I always like to give my patients a little bit of leeway because we are human. So I usually give them like, hey, 80-20, right? If you can avoid gluten 80% of the time, you're probably going to improve pretty significantly. And there's really good research behind uh, avoiding gluten with autoimmune disorders and in particular with Hashimoto's as well. So gluten is a big one. Another food that some people find beneficial to avoid would be dairy. And again, like you mentioned, it's individualized. Some people do okay with a little bit of dairy, but dairy can oftentimes be problematic for folks with Hashimoto's. And then just food sensitivities in general, a lot of people have Hashimoto's have gut issues. I don't know if you on your podcast have talked about leaky gut um, or increased gut permeability, but that is a common problem for people with Hashimoto's. So oftentimes we're testing or doing an elimination diet to figure out which foods are aggravating them and then doing some kind of a protocol to heal up the gut. And that way they can actually eat more foods once the gut is healed up. So gluten and dairy are definitely big ones that we look at, but they're be more depending on the person. So those are things we want to avoid. Oh, another one would be sugar. Gotta avoid sugar, right? I mean, those lollies, what are they called again? You gotta avoid them. Dumb, dumb, (laughs) dumb, dumb suckers. (laughs) No dumb, dumb suckers for Hashimoto Uh, patients. uh, Yeah, you know, every once in a while, right? But it should not be a regular part (laughs) of their diet. So sugar is huge. And when I say sugar, I'm talking about processed sugar. I'm not talking about the sugar that we see in fruits, right? That comes in our natural foods. I'm not talking about that, but we're talking about white processed sugar, sweets and treats and those kinds of things. That is very inflammatory and really does a number on folks with Hashimoto's. So those are things I would avoid. Things that you want to include, honestly, just focus on whole foods, right? Just, just a nice nutrient dense diet. So lots of vegetables. And I'll, I'll make a note about vegetables. There's, there's been a lot of talk or in the past about goitrogens, right? So cruciferous vegetables possibly being problematic for people with thyroid disorders. I just don't see that play out clinically. I don't think anyone, most people (laughs) eat enough of those goitrogenic foods 
to be problematic for thyroid disorders. So I typically don't have people limit those, but there is some information out there about that. So lots of veggies, uh, good protein. Uh, so I have no problem with animal, my patients eating animal protein. We just want to make sure it's good quality because a lot of times uh, animals are not fed a healthy diet, maybe lots of grains, right? Which we have to think about or corn. So good quality animal protein. Bone broth is great because that's good for the gut. So we love that. Now in the summer, that's hard to do because <laughs> it's a warm drink, but in the winter, that's fantastic. Uh, healthy fats. Got to get lots of healthy fats. That's really important. So fish, avocado, olive oils, all those kinds of things. Fruit, I don't focus a lot on fruit, but if we're going to be incorporating fruit into the diet, the berries are probably going to be the best choice because they're low in sugar and have lots of antioxidants, which is really important for our whole system and the immune system. And then I've talked about this on my social media, but coffee kind of depends on the person, but oftentimes in the beginning, especially if things are not well controlled, I will have them limit or eliminate that. But I am an avid coffee drinker. So that's always a hard prescription to give because <laughs> that would be a hard thing for me to do. But yeah, coffee might be something that at least temporarily needs to be removed or reduced. Yeah. Wow. So I love that you mentioned the dairy, the gluten, but then you said the key thing about the leaky gut. I mean, of course the dairy and gluten are going to abdicate everything in that's happening inside of us if we have leaky gut, because it's right. activating the immune response. I mean, so, and I love that you spoke about that, you know, okay. So, so it's, 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 it's sometimes interesting for the audience to understand. It's kind of like, I'm going to see someone to help me out with my thyroid. Why are you focusing on my gut? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, that's one's up here, one's down there. <laughs> But a good portion of your immune system lives in the gut. So if the gut's not happy, then the immune system's not happy, which means your Hashimoto's isn't happy. So it's all connected. And in the naturopathic world, we always say, you know, if you can heal the gut, you can almost heal anything. What we eat and what we put in our bodies and how we treat our intestines is hugely important to our overall health. Yeah, you said it right there. I love that. And, you know, the sugar aggravating that. Of course, we know that sugar affects your immune system. I mean, dramatically, there's so much research out there that yeah. you know, by having a sugar binge and we're talking about, you know, that the artificial sugar and all those things, the next day your immune system is like 80% down. It's oh, a yes. given. It's an absolute given. So I love that you included all those and then, and then the foods to include and foods not to include and so forth. And I mean, essentially what you said is, is just a whole foods, organic, amazing diet that's going to feed every single part of your body, not just your thyroid. Exactly. Because a lot, you know, there's a lot of information out there as far as nutrition and a lot of people like make it more complicated than it has to be. Especially now with everything going on in the world, I think simplicity is key. So I always talk to my patients about how their plate should look half a plate of veggies, you know, certain amount of protein, depending on their lifestyle, right, little bit of starch, and you know, a tablespoon or two of healthy fats, make it easy. If you design every meal that way, it gets exponentially easier. Everyone's always trying to do all these complicated things. And I just don't even know how they have time for it. So I like to make it simple. <laughs> that's so funny. Anyone that knows me is like, is this your twin? Because that's exactly the words that come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's, exactly awesome. the, that's exactly the words that come out of my mouth. Make it simple. Just duplicate it. It's like a process. Just duplicate it all. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that. So let's now talk about the, the key prescription for Hashimoto's. Hit the floor running. Tell us all about it. Let's talk about it. 
Yes, strength training. I cannot tell you how much strength training will transform people in general and especially in Hashimoto's. I think the hard part for people with Hashimoto's is that they are tired and they are cold and probably crabby because of that. So they, and they're in a lot of pain oftentimes too. There's a lot of muscle and joint pain as part of Hashimoto's and those can seem like obstacles to strength training. What they don't realize is that strength training will help eliminate a lot of those things. Right? Strength training increases your energy. It balances your hormones. It helps us manage our weight. It improves our circulation. I can tell you when I started strength training regularly, I could feel the difference in my sensitivity to cold. It was night and day. I didn't feel like I was going to die all the time <laughs> when it was winter time. And it doesn't get that cold here either. So that's huge. Another thing that is really important as far as strength training goes is insulin sensitivity. So insulin is a hormone. I don't know how much the audience knows. So I'll explain that a little bit. Insulin is a hormone produced by the pancreas and its job is to help us regulate our blood sugar levels or our blood glucose levels. Blood sugar issues are a super common problem with Hashimoto's all the more reason to avoid it. But strength training improves our sensitivity to insulin, meaning that we're able to use it more effectively to improve our blood sugar control or our blood sugar levels. The other piece, so I mentioned, yeah, so it does help with muscle and joint pain, right? Because we're increasing circulation, we're lubricating those joints, which always feels good on the body. And then going back to inflammation, a lot of conditions, chronic conditions, there's a significant amount of inflammation. And that is also true in Hashimoto's. So one of the things that we know is that we have these cells that are part of our immune system known as T lymphocytes. And we can break those T lymphocytes down into two, two little subsections, which would be our two different T helper cells. So we have Th1 or T helper one and T helper two. The Th1 cells are more inflammatory and the Th2 cells are more anti-inflammatory. And what strength training does is it shifts that balance of Th1 and Th2 to less Th1 production. So if that Th1 production is going down, that means less inflammation and decreased autoimmune response. So, I mean, I feel like I could just talk all day about the benefits of strength training, but I think that kind of summarizes the main things and what it does for our body. I mean, you just saying that, I'm thinking and I'm like, what, what's this super drug called? Where do I, where do I purchase this pill? I mean, <laughs> right? this is, this is yeah. extraordinary when we yes. figure out the benefits of strength training. I mean, yeah. you know, let's go back a bit. What is strength yeah. training in a sense? What, so what does strength training look like? I know we've, we've spoken about the benefits and all that, but some people might be like, but is strength training me just lifting weights? Am I going to get big? Am I going to get oh. muscles? You know, what, what, what is strength training? Yeah, I love that you bring that up because that is the most common concern of women is I don't want to look like a dude. I don't want to bulk up. And I'm telling you, that never happens. You have to really, really, really try hard for that to happen. I mean, I'm in the gym, you know, four or five days a week and I, I don't think I look like a man. <laughs> Someone else might think differently, but yeah, you don't bulk up, honestly. But strength training, what I'm talking about, sometimes it is lifting weights. 
but it could also be things like using your body weight for exercise. It could be resistance bands, right? It could be really simple stuff, but it's just about adding weight or resistance to be able to build muscle. A lot of people, a lot of women do a lot of cardio. So cardiovascular training, whether that's walking or running or elliptical or something along those lines. And there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes my folks who have Hashimoto's will have hormone imbalances and they will also have what's often referred to as adrenal dysfunction or burnout. Those folks do not do well with lots of cardio. So I will usually have them limit their cardio to maybe, you know, like 10 or 15 minutes as part of their workup and then move into strength training after that. So yeah, you can have, you can do a little bit of cardio, but that excessive cardio can actually be problematic for people who have thyroid hormone, adrenal type issues. Yeah, which goes totally against everything that we're told as women. Uh, when you think about exercise, you think about walking on that treadmill, you think about going for a run, going for that, you know, that bike ride, those spin classes. I mean, an individual who has Hashimoto's after like 10 minutes of a spin class, they'll be out of it. They would yeah. be fatigued for the rest of the day. And this is not what we want. Um, it's kind of like you have that cycle of this is how much energy you have. Where do you want to spend that energy on? And you don't want to spend yes. it on that as much. Because the benefits that you're saying you're going to get most out of is the strength training. And I love that you said in there, you don't have to get weights. You can just get the resistance band because a lot of individuals like, um, I know my mom, she's hitting, you know, over 50s and so forth. And I'm, I said to yes. her, I'm like, get that band resistance for your bone health, you know, for, for yes. falls, for all this, for that, you know. And she's like, I'm not going to lift weights. Like, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> like this kilo of weight i'm like all right let's try bands let's do bands and i love that yeah. you put that in there it's all, all about putting that pressure and the resistance on the muscle and that's where you're going to get all those benefits with their immune system that you spoke about exactly exactly that, that's right on target yeah i love that and girls women do not be scared of weights not be scared of the gym it's definitely yeah. beneficial absolutely beneficial and i love that you made the link of it with hashimoto's a lot of people don't yeah. 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 It has to be part of the picture. And I, I, that was something that I really learned over time just by working with tons of patients who have this, you know, I didn't, you know, I would always talk about exercise and movement, but ne wasn't necessarily getting very specific prescriptions in terms of what they needed to do. But once I started realizing how beneficial it was, I would see my patients who are strength training versus ones who are maybe just walking or running. And it was, it was a huge difference. So, you know, proof is always in the pudding. When you see it happen before your eyes, you know that it's real and you know that that's what works. And those people felt significantly better. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, I mentioned that a lot of people who have Hashimoto's struggle with their weight, right? And strength training is just so huge for that. And I talked to my patients about being strong versus being skinny. Right. Do you do you want to be this, you know, thin little thing that has no mass? You can't even, you know, pick up that, you know, jug of milk or whatever it is. Hopefully not drinking too much milk, but yeah, maybe maybe almond milk, right? Maybe you're picking up that jug of almond milk, right? Do you want to be able to do that or do you want to just be able to fit into a certain pant size? So trying to break some of those barriers about, oh, I have to be a certain weight. I have to wear a certain pant size. I have to do these things. No, I'd rather you get on the machine that tells you what your body fat percentage is and how much muscle mass you have. And I want to see that muscle mass go up. That is much more important than what the, the number on the scale says.
Yeah, that's so true. It's on point because that muscle also then creates more mitochondria, which then gives yes. us more energy. And it's like, what? This strength training is going to give me more energy. And like you said, you only touched a little bit on it. You can go into so much yes. more detail. And, you know, having more mitochondria, that's hugely beneficial for anyone who's burnt out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as we age, right, we want to do everything we can to preserve those mitochondria. <laughs> yeah, we've got to keep those. All right. Amazing. You've given us some absolutely amazing information about what Hashimoto's is, the tests, um, what can be done about it, foods, ins, outs, and then the benefits of strength training, you know, the, the not spoken about prescription that should be given to most individuals who have Hashimoto's after talking to their healthcare professional, of course. But what would be some practical tips if you had to break it down maybe to two or three for individuals to incorporate who may have Hashimoto's disease? Great question. I would say there's probably three things that I would focus on. One would be don't ignore your stress. Stress is the number one obstacle I see to people getting well. You can take with Hashimoto's, you can take all the supplements in the world. You can avoid gluten. You can exercise. But if you're in a crappy relationship, if you're in a job that you hate, that stress will always impact your thyroid. So got to deal with your stress. And there's lots of ways to do that, but that's a big one. So don't ignore your stress. The second one would be to make a plan and stick to it. One of my mentors always used to say, you can't walk 10 miles into the woods and come out in five, meaning you didn't get to this place overnight. So you can't expect to heal from this overnight. So a lot of people are expecting huge results after just a few weeks, which sometimes we, you know, we get some big shifts in the beginning, but you're not going to be hundred percent after two weeks. There's just no way to heal the body that way. So always make sure that people know that this is a, a long game and we have to make a plan and stick to that plan. That doesn't mean you don't adapt that plan if it's not working for you, but you have to consistently come back to a plan, even if that plan is adapting. So I think that's a huge thing. And the third thing I would say is to learn how to listen to your body, learn how to listen to your body. I mentioned this before, but we're so disconnected that we have to learn to recognize our signs of imbalance. And so what I teach my patients to do is a body scan, literally just lay in your bed, no distractions and just feel yourself from head to toe right? How does, how does your brain feel? Does it feel like your brain's on fire? Are you anxious? Are you depressed? How is your vision? How, you know, are you congested? Do you have a dry mouth? How do you, I mean, literally just head to toe checking in with themselves every once in a while. It doesn't have to be a daily thing, but it could be weekly or monthly, whatever it might be and figuring out what doesn't feel right. And is that thing just a temporary thing? Or is that a sign that something is really imbalanced and you need to switch something up. So I would say that those are probably my three practical trips is tips is to don't ignore your stress, make a plan and stick to it and then listen to your body. I love that you summarized that right there. I love that. Listen to your body, <laughs> make a plan. Cause yeah, we make, we make things like we're going to do this and then, yeah. And then <laughs> it just goes, you know, things happen, but sticking to it and yeah. stress. Yes. Stress. This is what this whole, you know, podcast, the whole thing is about is, you know, stress and, you know, we are going to be faced with stress, but it's how we adapt to it. Going back to what exactly. you said, adapting to it and, you know, moving around and being able to deal with it. Absolutely love, love, love your practical tips. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you said is not just for individuals, Hashimoto's. I believe that's for everything and anyone, anything that you're doing, those three things can be put into 
action. So I love them. I absolutely love them. Look, to finish off, I ask all my guests, as this is the Natural Health Podcast, what is your best kept natural health hack that you may do daily, monthly, yearly, but it's something that keeps you on point? Well, it's interesting that you pose it that way because what I would say my best kept health hack is to be consistent. Whatever it is you're doing, be consistent, right? Whatever you're going to do, do it daily. If your first goal, let's say, is to drink more water, do that every single day, right? Once you've tackled that, then move on to the next thing and do that consistently. That is consistency is probably the number one things that keeps people from seeing the results that they want to see because they fall off track. Right. And that kind of goes back to that, make a plan and stick to it. But I really think that that is the key to people getting well is to do the thing, even when you don't feel like doing the thing, right. Go to the gym, even if you didn't want to go to the gym or go for a walk, even when you didn't want to go for a walk, maybe today you only go for 15 minutes and not for an hour. It doesn't matter. You still did it. Right. And every time you do that, you build resilience and you build your own confidence to be able to continue to do those things. It's like, you know what? I didn't want to do it, but I did it anyways. Look at me. I'm awesome. Right. And anything that makes us feel better about ourselves, we're more likely to continue to do that. So nothing special, just consistency. I love that. I think there's a bit of consistency there, a bit of self-talk, a bit of confidence. I love that. <laughs> yes. There's a lot that can be wrapped into that. So. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely love that. Look, Carolyn, thank you so, so much for joining us on the Natural Podcast. Absolutely love everything that you've shared. The audience is fascinated by your knowledge in regards to Hashimoto's and how they're able to assist themselves. And what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Is it Instagram? I'll put your handle down there. Is there any other way to get in touch with you? I mean, honestly, Instagram is probably the best because all my links are right there. So they can link if they're in Arizona, they can do, you know, schedule an appointment if they want to, if they got questions, they can send me a DM. There's links to my website also on there, which might be of use to a lot of folks is a free download that I have. It's called it's called get your shit together. <laughs> so it's a two week guide to getting your stuff together. And it's, it's a really short, it's just two weeks. So it's super simple. And it, it just incorporates a lot of those basic things that, you know, if somebody's living, let's say a standard, what, what we call a standard American diet, if somebody's living that lifestyle, it could be life changing to do something simple like that. So yes, Instagram is the best way to grab me because that's where most of my stuff is housed. I absolutely love it. And if you guys are following her already on Instagram, absolutely amazing content. Absolutely great. I'll put the handle down below in the show notes. Thank you so, so much for joining us on Natural Health Podcast, Carolyn. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad we got to do this. I've had an amazing time. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Me too. Thank you for joining us at the Natural Health Podcast. And remember the missing link between failure and success is your health.